This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Wizards, witches, and bouncing scarecrows, oh my. It's Howl's Moving Castle, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. On this week's episode, we're talking about Howl's Moving Castle. Katie, had you seen this movie before? I had not. I had not either. We're going to talk about it and compare it to Diane Wynne Jones's Howl's Moving Castle from the 1986, I believe, is the year? Yeah, 86. There you go. Film came out in 2004. Uh, we're going to compare and contrast them. I think we have every single one of our normal segments. Yes. So let's get right into it with Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Okay, so I'm going to do a book summary. Okay. Um, a slight disclaimer there are a lot of plot threads in this book. Yeah. I've just summarized kind of the main one. Okay. So I'm leaving out some of like the side stuff. Um, and I'm also leaving out the twist at the end. Okay. We'll discuss it later, but for now I'm just giving like a straightforward summary. Fantastic. Sophie works in her family's hat shop, secluded from the world until one day the Witch of the Waste comes in and curses Sophie, making her look like an old woman. Feeling that she can't stay at home, Sophie sets out to seek her fortune and ends up in the castle of the dangerous wizard Howl. Sophie meets Michael, Howl's apprentice, and Calcifer, the fire demon who powers Howl's moving castle. She also discovers that Howl, although vain and prone to dramatics, isn't so bad either. Along with a cast of other colorful characters, Sophie, Howell, Michael, and Calcifer work together to find the missing Prince Justin and Wizard Suleiman, and ultimately defeat the Witch of the Waste forever. Alright, for the movie, real quick, I'm going to try to sum this up as succinctly as possible. A lot happens, uh, and in the end it gets a little wild. Sophie is a young hat maker. She's the oldest of her family. She's got to take care of the family business. She makes hats. One day, she meets uh, Howl. She doesn't realize it's Howl at the time. He's a powerful wizard. She gets chased by shadow monsters with him. He flies her away and saves her. And then she encounters the evil witch of the wastes who turns her into an old woman. So she runs away into the countryside. I'm not sure exactly what her plan is at that point. Maybe just to try to find help or something. Because she knows witches and wizards uh, are out there. She ends up running into Hal again. But Hal doesn't realize it's her at first. Or he does. But it's not important. She ends up in his moving castle. uh, Where she becomes sort of a caretaker of the castle for a while. Uh, She meets the other band of characters. Including the young boy Markle. Who works with Hal. And Calcifer. Who's a fire monster. Who hangs out with Hal. And powers the castle. Uh, Also she runs into a scarecrow. With a turnip for a head. 
that's animated uh, that moves on its own. Long story short, they kind of do you know move around. She cleans up. Some hijinks ensue. Uh, eventually, the Howl is called to join the 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 as a wizard. He has to join in the war that's ongoing currently in this realm that they exist in. But he's called to join basically both sides of the war. I think is what it sounds like mm-hmm. from my memory in the movie. Um, because he goes by a lot of different sort of names, and so like he works for both sides of the war, basically, uh, or they they both uh, like want him or something. So he finally he tells uh, he sends Sophie to the the high Sul- high wiz- with which Sul- Suleiman or something, and says, "Tell him you're my mom, and that I I won't come help them." Uh, but then this doesn't work out. She sees through it, and then. Hal shows up anyways to her and then like a fight kind of breaks out and they run away. Uh, Sophie and Hal get away, but now Suleiman is chasing them. But then also the war is still going on. This is where it gets a little touch and go for me because there's a (laughs) lot of details and it seems the, the narrative kind of bounces around in a way that I found a little tough to follow. Not bounces around. It's hard to explain. But then Hal has to go fight. So he's going to help fight, save people uh, from the the war that's going on. He's like trying to stop the bombs and stuff. And meanwhile, Sophie is trying to figure out what to do back at the castle. She, she, she's at the castle and then decides she needs to try to help or something. This is where I get very confused at what was supposed to be going on here. I don't remember exactly what. They're in the castle and then... Well, the, the the town is being bombed. How does she have the vision? That's after this part. She. That's after this part. She pulls the heart out of the castle to go help Hal. She says Hal needs our help, so they're gonna leave. They take the heart to go help Hal. Right. But then that he says this will make the castle collapse. It does. So then they go back in the castle with the heart, and then it rebuilds, and then they're. They going to help Hal in the castle in a smaller version of the castle. Yeah. And then I needed to watch this twice. I did not understand what was going on in the end of this movie. You had like the same trouble with this that you had with Spirited Away, I feel I, like. Well, this I wasn't even looking for what was like the point so much as like what is even like what are they doing? Like uh-huh. what's the goal here? Like what is I, I don't know. And I think so. And maybe it's a difference in storytelling. And I, I, I really uh, like... I, we can just talk about it right now because I overall really enjoyed this movie. It's a beautiful film. Looks really cool. Lots of like really neat uh, like um, like sort of singular tableaus and that sort of thing. Uh, really fun story, fun characters. Uh, and the narrative for most of it made sense. But then it, it felt and maybe this is a difference in storytelling Mm-hmm. styles between cultures mm-hmm. or something like maybe it's cultural storytelling like norms that i'm yeah. not used to i, I think, don't know i think it could be a little bit of that i think there also could be like maybe a translation factor maybe translations part of it but it just there was moments towards the end of the third act of this film that i felt like the narrative sort of lost its thread and things were just happening without yeah. much rhyme or reason and then it just kind of wraps up yeah, and now maybe I'm wrong. Hard to follow. Yeah, and 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 I didn't feel that way through much of the beginning. I mean, it kind of meanders for the first two acts at times, but it was enjoyable, and I was along for like I was. The, then the end, I was just like, wait, what is happening now? I, and I maybe I need to, again, maybe like Spirited Away, maybe I need to watch it again. 
um, and maybe or maybe I'm trying too hard, but it feels like there should be more of like a narrative through line that I'm following that makes sense because it is sort of a movie for kids that shouldn't be that. Or maybe the fact that it is a movie for kids means it's okay that like the narrative through line doesn't like follow in a way that like uh-huh. you know what I mean that I'm kind of needing from a, a movie when I'm watching. Anyways, I, I, again, I, I enjoyed it. I just found at the end of the third act a little like bit of a jumbled mess. Um, but uh, so then they, they go to help him, but then the castle falls apart because uh, Calcifer goes out. She separates Calcifer from Hal's heart. That's it. And then the castle falls apart. And then she goes through the doorway into Hal's past. And then sees that Hal ate this this falling star when he was a kid. And then his heart came out of his chest and turned into Calcifer. Which we've kind of been a thread throughout the whole thing. That his heart is like Calcifer's made of basically mm-hmm. and then so she says i know how to help how and she recombines calcifer the heart into how right yes and then calcifer comes alive still separately without yeah. it's a little again i'm a little it was a little like lost at exactly what all was transpiring at the end of the film but uh and then um he then the war ends because reasons yeah and i live happily ever after yes yeah i again i that was not a great summation i'm sure people are screaming who love this movie <laughs> like i just and and I, I i will fully admit that i probably need a second viewing to like nail down maybe i just missed some like little details in the third act that made everything sort of tie together but i was having a tough time didn't help that our movie skipped at one point, but we went and watched the part that we missed. Mm-hmm. We went back and watched it, so I felt like I saw everything. But anyways, that's the summary, I guess. <laughs> Let's move on and play Guess Who? Yeah. yeah. The triumphant return of Guess Who. The triumphant return of Guess Who. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must get used to disappointment. Okay. So we have four here. I think you'll get all of these. Okay. The staid gray dress did not suit her, particularly when her eyes were red-rimmed with sewing, and since her hair was a reddish straw color, neither did caterpillar green or pink. Um, I would assume that that is Sophie. Yes. Yeah. That's young Sophie. She is wearing a green dress, right? Gray. Like a greenish gray dress yeah. in the movie. It's not gray, gray. I thought it was like a greenish gray. Yeah, it's like a greenish, bluish, grayish. Yeah. 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 Okay. In the book, she's wearing a gray dress. Okay. He was such a dashing specimen, too, with a bony, sophisticated face, really quite old, well into his 20s, and elaborate blonde hair. I would assume that that would be Hal. That is Hal. Yep. The elaborate blonde hair kind of gives it away. And the bony, sophisticated face. Yeah. Yeah. Her eyes went to the lady's wide hat first. Real ostrich plume dyed to reflect the pinks and greens and blues winking in the diamonds and yet still look black. This was a wealthy hat. The lady's face was carefully beautiful. The chestnut brown hair made her seem young. 
uh, based on the hat and the diamonds and the ostrich plume, I would assume that that is the Witch of the Waste. That is the Witch of the Waste. There you go. It would be a thin blue face, very long and thin, with a thin blue nose, curly green hair, and savage purple teeth. Uh, this one I'm... Now this one I'm having trouble with. A thin blue face, very long and thin, with a thin blue nose, curly green hair, and savage purple teeth. Oh, I guess the only thing I could see would be maybe that's Calcifer. Is that Calcifer? That is Calcifer. Okay. I did a little bit of trickery. I took out references to flames. Okay. It's like the curly green flames. Yeah. Or his hair. That makes more sense. It also helps that I saw, not your cover, I saw a cover of this book somewhere, and I'm pretty sure Calcifer's on the cover, mm-hmm. and he looks like that, but he can tell in the cover that it's flames. Is it your cover? Or yeah, am I th- there, he is on the cover of That's my copy. That's not the one I was thinking of, but there's but, one yeah. that I saw that looks very similar to that. That, that that description matched mm-hmm. and it was like clearly fire so I figured that's what it was because in the movie Calcifer is just sort of like a normal looking fire there with is, eyes and a mouth there <laughs> is one point in the movie the first time they move the house or the yeah. castle where he like goes super saiyan yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. Lo- he looks a little bit more like this description yeah. I noticed that too because instead it was... of like a cute little flame yep instead of a cute little little flame hanging out on a on a or log a cute little log yep Cool. Uh, yeah, that was pretty straightforward, like you said. I think probably anybody who watched the movie would have gotten all four yeah. of those. So I had a bunch of stuff marked. You yeah. noted the other day while I was finishing yeah, I up saw the lots book. Of notes. I had a, a bunch of, I put little tabs in the book whenever I come upon a character description, um, especially if I've never seen the movie. Yeah, and you don't know. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if that character is going to make it in or not. Um, so I probably had like nine or ten tabs wow. in my book and uh as you can see four so only four of the characters through. made it into the movie huh interesting all right let's move on and ask the the question we ask every week every other week was that in the book nicholas flamel is the only known maker of the philosopher's stone the what honestly don't you two read all right this is a very general question uh, listeners probably already know the answer to this from, or at least a little bit from our, uh, our our Let Me Sum Up segment. Is any of this story the same? We talked about this in the prequel that, uh, from what I had heard and read, that a lot was changed. How much of this story from the book uh, made it into the movie? Um, That's kind of a rough question. Yeah. <laughs> they follow like a similar-ish plot outline. There are some scenes that are, like, very similar, um, but ultimately, I would say that these two stories are not really all that. Like, they're, I don't know. They're the same, but they're not really. <sighs> um, I'm a little sad that we didn't find this fun fact for the prequel, but I, while I was going back and looking things up, I read that one reviewer described watching the film as being similar to reading high-quality fan fiction. Okay. So... It's kind of like we we took some stuff and we made our own like alternate universe version yeah. of this story. Okay, that makes sense, and that's kind of what I figured. But we'll get to some of the specifics here over the course of the episode of what what they changed and what they didn't. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what it had sounded like to me. In the movie, 
uh, very in the very beginning, towards the very beginning, when Sophie first meets Hal, he picks her up and they just fly away to get away from the shadow of monsters. They like they just levitate up in the air and then they walk through the air. It's fun. It's a fun little scene. Um, is is can Hal in the book just fly? And there is a scene where Hal and the Witch of the Waste have a magic battle over the ocean, but he doesn't fly like he does in the movie. Okay. So how do they have the battle? Or is that for later? I mean, they're like having a magic battle. But are they? How are they over the ocean? I mean, like, there's not a scene like in the movie where he like bounces up into the air and like. But he can fly. I guess. Well, that was my question. And if he can, if they're having a battle over the ocean, then they're flying, are they not? I said he doesn't fly like he does in the movie. Okay, well, you have to expand on that to, but he does fly. <laughs> I feel like that's an important. <laughs> I feel like that's an important distinction. There's a difference between not exactly the same way it happens in the movie. That's not how I read it in the book. Versus, but he does, fly, but he does fly. <laughs> Because when you said they have a magic battle over the ocean, I didn't know if you meant they were flying or they were on a ship or, uh, you know, I just wasn't sure what that meant. Okay. So in the movie, during this time when they're running away, uh, when, when, when they do have to fly, it's because they're running away from some weird shadowy globby creatures. Mm. Uh, are those in the book? And what's their deal? Um, they are not in the book. So I was kind of wondering about them as well. Um, I would interpret them as something similar to like a golem, maybe, or just like shadows. I don't know. I couldn't tell if they were supposed to be like shadows or if they were because initially they looked like tar yeah. monsters. But they come to like me. through the walls, yeah. which made them feel more like shadowy creatures to me. And it, uh, and they, I think we on, later realized like that, different shadow creatures. Yeah. There are several different ones, but I feel like we we find out that they're essentially like they work for the Witch of the Waste, it seems. Yeah. Because she has them like carrying her little, yeah, uh, whatever that's called, like that kings and queens get carted around in. Mm-hmm. She's in one of those, and there's like two shadow creatures that carry that. Seeming, they seem to be like the similar type of thing, and so they're 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 working for her, and I guess she's sending them after Howl in this moment. Yeah. Because she wants his heart. I guess. In, yeah. Probably. In the movie. Yeah, yeah, in the movie. Cool. Does Sophie get turned, speaking of the Witch of the Waste, does Sophie get turned into an old lady by a very large witch? Because in the movie, the Witch of the Waste shows up at her hat shop and is like, you're tacky, and then turns her into an old lady. <laughs> yeah. Is that what happens in the book? Uh, she does get turned into an old lady by the Witch of the Waste, who the book does not imply to be very large. Okay. But... That was an interesting... You know, it's it's a Miyazaki thing. Those yeah. those very like, of like stylized aesthetic choices for characters mm-hmm. uh, are you know kind of a, a um a uh, what's the word of a trademark of uh, Miyazaki and Studio uh, Ghibli films and like you know even like so like the the super large like overly huge characters we see in several of the the couple we've seen there's always like. Mm-hmm. Uh, a character kind of like that at some point um and even somebody like howl who is like abnormally like tall and thin and angular angular, and yeah yeah, and like and i 
Correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't watched a ton of anime, but I think that's also like an anime thing. Yeah, it is. I, I, I have also not watched a ton of anime, which is also one of the things I was thinking earlier when I was... During the Let Me Sum Up, when I was talking about how, like, sort of the storytelling style of Miyazaki films, something about them is lost on me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think part of that may also be that I never got into anime. Mm-hmm. The anime has never been a thing that, I just whatever, for whatever reason, I just, as a kid, never really watched it. And um, so I'm not steeped in, like... In, in sort of uh, the anime storytelling, because yeah, it is a distinct it, it is a style, style of storytelling. Yeah. And I, I also wonder if maybe that's where I'm missing a little bit of... Because whenever I watch a Miyazaki film, I'm like, this is... Like, the only one so far, we've seen three. We've watched Kiki's Delivery Service, Spirited Away, and Howl's Moving Castle now. And I loved Kiki's Delivery Service, and I felt... From my memory, I've seen, I've seen them all once. I didn't have that feeling of, like, mm-hmm. losing the thread of what the point is here and what's going on and and the narrative kind of like and it is a apart. kind of a simpler story i think too. maybe that's what it is is that i still felt like it had the style that i really like um now these maybe were even more stylistic than like kiki's delivery service but i the style's still there and and sort of the whimsy and the magical mm-hmm. realism of the whole story and everything that's really fun and that i enjoy and then again the art style and stuff without like this sort of like i don't know yeah these both of these now have and, and again i think i liked this more than spirited away because spirited away was a whole thing i just i not only didn't get it i didn't get what i was supposed to get from it this one i at least think i got what i was supposed to get from it i just didn't get it <laughs> like the story towards the end again towards the end the both first two acts i was fine i was there does sophie make friends with an animated and i i mean everything in the movie is animated but an an- animate scarecrow there is a scarecrow in the book who appears to be alive in some way. Um, however, Sophie is scared of him for hmm. a good portion of the book. This is actually a, this is a good place to talk about the scarecrow because I was kind of torn on what which one of my segments to right. put this in. Um, so in the book, the scarecrow is described in like a pretty creepy kind of way. Like he's he's not like a cute. Yeah, fun hopping scarecrow. He's like his turn up face is kind of like starting to rot and right. collapse, and he's like wearing raggedy clothes, almost like out of a horror movie. Yeah. Um, now he does ultimately end up being good, but the way that he's perceived by the other characters makes it hard for him to get help from them and do what he needs to do, which is partly the point. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, now in the movie he's like a cute helpful character yeah which i totally get it lightens the tone character design is awfully cute yeah um but i i find the book version maybe a little bit more intriguing yeah but i don't necessarily mind the change yeah i thought the movie one was it was was it's a it's a fun little character like you said mm-hmm. he's very cute he shows up and he like he, i like that he always like gets her shawl for her or yeah. like she whenever she drops a piece of clothing he shows up with it like to bring it back to her it's it's cute uh and he's very kind of dog-like almost mm-hmm. in, in its portrayal but uh he's, he's the... kind of a mascot ish character yeah yeah and so i thought he was really fun in the movie i enjoyed the character um so that is definitely an interesting change but i think mm-hmm. yeah you, that you're probably not wrong that the the book version uh, maybe has something more to say about it because the ultimate, if it goes to the same place where that turns out to be, I don't think I have a question about it, so we can just ask. Does that turn out to be a, the prince or whatever? that? Um, Sort of. Yes, but no, which I'll, <laughs> I'll get to later. Okay. 
Because in I could see that you know because in the movie it is a cursed prince who basically mm-hmm. was turned into a scarecrow. The idea of him being more um, unseemly or yeah, like he's more like grotesque, more grotesque and terrifying, and like you said, that causing a difficulty with anybody being willing to help him, mm-hmm. and thus he's kind of stuck and cursed or whatever. You know, there's yeah. something to, to that, which I feel like maybe they didn't need to double dip on that because I think that's a little bit what they were going for to some extent with Sophie, with her curse, since she's like an old lady. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the thing in the movie, a very big sort of thematic element is um, aging and how we treat people that are aging and that sort of thing. Because we have the Witch of the Waste character later in the movie that seems like a very, uh, she, she sort of turns into like, um, Almost like the percent, like a, the, the she represents after she kind of becomes good, kind of in the later part of the movie. Yeah, she, she she gets like her powers stripped from her. She gets her it, powers stripped, and she becomes almost like a senile old woman. Yeah. and and it feels a little bit. And they they're like taking care of her, and it, and it seems like. And then also with Sophie's character, it seems like there's some commentary going on there about. Um, you know how to uh, about uh respecting people as they age and not taking older mm-hmm. people for granted and that sort of thing which is an interesting you know there's some some good thematic uh meat there i think it's um i don't remember where i started this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways i got to a different topic from where i started which was about the scarecrow so all right is in the movie i like the design a lot it's really cool howl's moving castle is this giant like mismatched like cobbled together building of just like little houses and things hanging off and there's parts that look like mouths like on the front Mm -hmm. Uh, and like it's like this it's like kind of what you imagine uh the burrow but like Time, like in from Harry Potter, the yeah. Weasley's burrow, but like, but like moving and moving more and like steampunk. way bigger. Yeah, more steampunk and like bigger and uh-huh. like more built on outwards. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like room after room hanging on it. And it's a really cool aesthetic. And the way it's animated in the, in the movie is really neat. Um, but I'm guessing from the cover of the book that that's not what it looks like in the book. No, um, the movie castle has kind of a mortal engines, yeah, kind of a vibe. It's also like a little bit Baba Yaga with like the legs. I don't know if I know what that is. Um, the Baba Yaga, the Russian witch, um, house on hen's legs. I, I mean, no. I yeah, I don't, I don't. Okay. No. <laughs> um, moving on. Then. Yeah. In the book, it's it's a typical castle. It's got four towers. It floats through the air, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it's so it also, flies the whole time. Yes. Because that's where we get to eventually in the movie at the end. Mm-hmm. His castle starts flying, but for the first yeah. part, it's the walking castle around. in the book like floats around, um, and it's also made out of charcoal bricks, which is perfect for. The talking fire demon in the movies. He's in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We yeah. already did because we, we already talked about. <laughs> well, we did. guess too. So Calcifer's in it, but he. So so, he burns the bricks. Wait, I'm confused. It's just like a fun thing. Oh, okay. I didn't know if like he could like. So can he like travel around on the bricks? No, he has to stay on the hearth. Well, that's. <laughs> I 
didn't make it up. <laughs> I'm just because to me, when you said that, like it's made out of charcoal bricks, one that seems like not the best like building material. But two, it seems like the whole point you would do that. Maybe they're just charcoal colored. Maybe I don't know. Okay, because I was just saying, like if they were actually somehow made of charcoal, that could be interesting because then he could like travel around the castle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like up the walls, and like that would be neat. And I thought maybe that's what it was going to be. But is there a magic traveling door? Yes. The door works uh, pretty much the same way. So in the movie, if you've seen it, there's the the door that they use to open up. They go to their shop because they sell like potions and stuff to the local people. Um, it's what Howell and Mark will do uh, to make money, I guess, basically, is like sell their, their, their wares to the locals. But they do it in multiple places and they do that through this magic door that they can turn a little knob and it and they have and it like basically teleports them to different storefronts mm-hmm. uh, which is cool it's pretty neat and it's from the book yeah can Howl turn into a strange feathery bird man because that's a big part of the movie is that Howl turns into this big feathery monster uh, bird creature well, I'm not gonna say that he can't but he definitely doesn't he doesn't now there are two sequels yeah. This. And one of them came out before the movie for sure. So yeah. there's a chance that maybe there's some element. Maybe. We, maybe we he mention... turns into a strange feathery bird man in a later book. We didn't mention yet. Yeah, normally we do mention if if there's stuff that was potentially pulled from the sequel. And that possibly. But it is not in this book. Mm-mm. So we're going to say probably not. That's interesting. Because <laughs> that's a big part of the movie. And yeah. kind of a, a very distinct choice to make. <laughs> it is a pretty distinct choice. I, I, it's got to, again, it's got interesting sort of thematic elements to do with, um, because how sort of, it seems like, you know, he, this movie's about a lot of things, which is maybe yeah. one of the weaknesses to me of the movie is it's maybe too many themes <laughs> like mm-hmm. going on at the same time, but, uh, potentially, uh, like slight yeah, weakness. Yeah, it's potentially, and I think that is why the end got a little bit messy, because I think there were just too many things to tie together Yeah, in the third act. Yeah, and so, because he's like a giant bird, so like, because very clearly there's there's multiple scenes, and we're, I think we're about to, we'll talk about one right now, Is and I want to ask if this was in the movie, is or in the book, is there's a scene where uh, after, how it takes, after Sophie cleans, she cleans the bathroom and stuff. Hal takes a bath and it, and he ends up accidentally dyeing his hair red mm-hmm. with his magic potions. He gets very upset about this because he's a ginger. And now I knew this was in the book because he posted this on social media. And if you yeah. aren't following us on social media, do it because you get to see cool stuff like that. But Katie posted the, that that excerpt from the book while you were reading it about Hal freaking out about being a ginger now and how horrible that is. Mm-hmm. But then after that, and that happens in the movie, but then after that, he becomes very depressed so much so that he starts like exuding slime and turns into like this big gooey slimy mess and they have to like drag him up to the bathroom to watch him. It's a, this is when I was I enjoyed the movie the most was like these kind of moments. Mm-hmm. Um and again this is all like mostly the first two acts. Um is that from the book? Yeah, both of those both scenes of those are scenes. from the book. Okay. So what I was saying earlier with the sort of thematic elements is that obviously there's very uh, prominent through lines throughout the course of the movie of how dealing with depression, basically, mm-hmm. seemingly some sort of depression type of thing where he um, he can he can kind of fall into these fits of like despair and 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 the very and it's 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 um manifests very physically for him in the terms of like turning into this like 
gloopy, like, gooey mess that just can't even move. And, like, mm-hmm. other people have to, like, force him to go bathe. Like, it feels very intentional and very that, like, there was some cool, interesting stuff going on there. Um, And then I also feel like that's sort of also reflected with the turning into a bird thing where he seems to be fighting, like, his – there's, like, this this battle between his, his inner nature in the movie of, like, because he turn, can turn into this beast. I don't even know if it's his inner nature because – this is where it gets confusing to me, and I feel like the themes get a little bit muddled, is that at times in the movie, the bird creature that he turns into, Calcifer warns, I think it's Calcifer, yeah, warns, warns him, him he's not going to be able to turn if back. If you keep doing that, you won't be able to turn back. So that's where it feels a little bit like a a cautionary tale about, um, or sort of a caution about like overindulging in power or in some sort of, you know, mm-hmm. like your classical fairy tale thing of like, if you use your magic too much, it will consume you. And you, you have to find that balance in your life between striving for, you know, striving for power or using, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm not summarizing this perfectly. Um, you have to try to find that balance so that you don't over overuse or, or, or over really for anything that you don't go too far in pursuit of something. In this case, he's using these powers to like help people, but using these powers too much he'll get he'll turn into a bird creature and he'll never be able to turn back yeah um but then that also that the the bird creature story later in the movie seems to be more a commentary on his his inner beast and him being worried that sophie won't there's a moment later when he comes home after fighting a battle and he's in he's in that castle and Sophie goes and finds him and it feels very beauty in the beast type moment yes. where he's like curled up in his hole like hiding as this giant bird creature and then when she finds him he like looks at her and like stalks away mm-hmm. and to me that felt very like he presents this very when he's a human he's like super handsome and like very vain and all about how handsome he is. And he's, you know, cause he freaks out about his red hair and stuff. And there's this inner creature in him that he hides from people. I don't know. I felt like that. I just couldn't quite suss the, the total me- And again, maybe this would all benefit from a se- Not maybe it would definitely mm-hmm. benefit from a second viewing. Um, but I, I, I felt like I could their their messages kind of morphed throughout the course and I wasn't quite sure what and this is again I guess yeah. the thing I the problem I've always had but I had the same problem I have with Spirited Away where I felt like maybe the, the, the theme that or the message that the movie was going for gets a little lost along the way and then kind of doesn't land in the yeah. way that I'm expecting it to. This was one of the places where like this movie as an adaptation got a little bit odd for me because the scene where he freaks out about his hair and then he starts oozing green goo, that's, like, directly from the book. Yeah. Like, we could call it beat for beat from the book. Mm-hmm. But it feels not right in the story that the movie is telling. To me, it feels, like, shoehorned in. Like, they were like, oh, we're going to do this for the people who read yeah. the book. Yeah. But I don't know if it works in the story that the movie is telling. That scene worked for me, I think. I enjoyed it because I thought we were definitely getting a little bit of the hint of Howl's sort of inner torment and and why he's 
sort of the vein um maybe vein's not the right word but why he 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 presents himself the way he does because he is very uh self-conscious and wants to always look a certain way and when he doesn't he sort of freaks out and and i think there's like i said like an interesting commentary about like sort of depressive episodes and that sort of thing in that moment that i think works and that that you know that the the person or what you see on the surface with somebody like Hal who seems like this very when we first meet him he's this very self assured like handsome like strikingly handsome man who's wearing a cape and like commanding the situation mm-hmm. versus when something becomes out of his control he lose you know he loses yeah. it and and I think that I think it works I think it doesn't maybe follow through with that in a way that is satisfying in the movie. And I think it's partially because there's so many things going on Mm -hmm. that it was a little tough for any of those through lines to really land. Like any of the like sort of elements of, okay, uh, this sort of, because there's also, then we're constantly dealing with the fact that he's a pacifist and doesn't want to fight. And that has to sort of take front and center towards the third act about like the whole war thing and him not wanting to fight. And that doesn't really seem like a reflection, I guess a little bit maybe of his self. I, I guess I'm trying to like my, the thing that I was having trouble with at the end of the movie was sussing out how all of these different thematic, like starting like beginnings that they've, that they, that they set up in the movie were supposed to come together and then how the, the the sort of revelation of the third act of him getting his heart back was supposed to like uh, resolve those storylines. So it kind of revo- resolves his inner turmoil about like uh, and sort like him getting his heart back so that he can love and that sort of thing because it, he, he has this trouble. It seems like he needs to love Sophie as part of the, the thing that's going to help him we should have just watch this movie again before we did this it's there's so much going <laughs> on especially in the third act that it feels almost impossible to tr- to try to to break down why it it felt like it didn't quite land for me there's just so many different elements that as soon as i start talking about one element of the story i'm thinking of a different element I guess what I'm trying to say is that at the end of the movie, he gets his heart back from Calcifer, even though that hasn't seemed to be a whole issue the whole movie. But but it has been. We find out. She finds out that because he gave his heart away, this is what's causing him all these issues. But to me, that that moment doesn't really resolve the, the main storyline with the war and the the pacifism thing because he doesn't then go and fight. He doesn't decide to pick a side. He bestays yeah. a pacifist because that's Miyazaki's thing. Like he's, a, he's a pat, like he's like, no war sucks. And like um, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I'm going to talk about this more later, but I, I think part of the issue is that Miyazaki really, really wanted to do an anti-war story. Okay. And I don't, know that it worked in this particular instance because i think there was too much going on yeah and it got a little bit messy yeah this i really like right now want to (laughs) um this is one of those ones i want to make a commitment to and i think spirited away is also based on a book so maybe that would help that i would just be seeing it for the second time i really do want to watch this again and see if it works better for me at the end because it's especially now that this is the second time this has happened, it makes me feel like there's something wrong with me. 
shape. No, 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 no. I'm not. I don't mean in like any like serious way. I just mean like I the fact that it's two of the two Miyazaki movies in a row mm-hmm. that like his two two of the most renowned Miyazaki films, um, in a row that make me when I get to the end go okay, I get, I get it. I get I like I enjoyed it, but like I'm not sure it made sense or was very good. Like it was good, but I'm not sure it like was good. It's so hard to explain. I don't know if anybody else feels the same way I do about these movies where it's like I they're good and as I'm watching them moment to moment, I'm blown away by the artistry of the film and some of the writing and the, it's all clever and again, maybe the translations there's all kinds of myriad reasons that I could be feeling this way and I'm not sure what exactly it is or if it's a combination of all the things, but it's two in a row where I'm just like, yeah, I'm blown away by the artistry of this film as I'm watching it. But then when it ends and over the course of it and I try to think about what I was supposed to get out of it, I can't help but feel like I wasn't supposed to get like not that I wasn't supposed to get stuff out of it, but that it doesn't all that all of these disparate pieces that all kind of work on their own when they come together into this final story, like into this final thing that is a movie, uh-huh. it doesn't quite add up and work in a way that I find satisfying. And I don't know why I'm like the only person that feels that way. It's so strange to me. It's so strange. I don't know. I don't know. It's very interesting. In the movie, they have these, uh, the army or whatever has these strange little, like the wizard, the bad witchers, witches, and with Suleiman's people, mm-hmm. or whoever. There are lots of, lots of people from people have them. There are lots of different flying machines that, like, the military and stuff use in the movie, but there's these ones in particular in the movie that I thought were very fascinating that are, like, little tubes that people sit on in a chair and they have, like, dragonfly wings. They're mm-hmm. cool. But so impractical because <laughs> like one person sits on them and they don't seem to have weapons. They're just I don't know. I was like, OK, I guess they have their wizards so they can shoot spells or something like I, their witches and wizards would like they can do their own. But what's what's up with are those little those are not from the book. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're just a fanciful little like flying device. Like, it's fine. I yeah. just thought they were very interesting design choice. You know, just kind of I was like, what's going on? What's going on here? It's the same thing I feel about. I, I can't just keep doing it, but like it's how I feel so often about so many of the design elements and stuff in Miyazaki. I feel like it's supposed to mean something. And then I'm like, nope, maybe it's just a weird thing. Maybe it's just a weird thing. And maybe all of this I'm trying to find some sort of meaning in is just, it's just a fun, silly thing. Maybe, 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 <laughs> I don't know. Does this is a really interesting element of the movie. Throughout the course of the movie, so Sylvie gets turned into an old lady, but over the course of the movie, at different times in different scenes, as she's doing different things, she appears sometimes younger, sometimes just the same as the old, as she, she's really old when she first gets turned old, but then throughout the course of the movie, she kind of de-ages at times, but then ages back up, and some scenes she looks a little bit younger, and sometimes she looks a little bit older, and... It's a fascinating choice, and this is one of the other reasons that I'd be really interested to kind of go back and watch again to see what – and there were some elements of what I saw what was going on. In particular, there's some moments where Sophie um, really is, like, standing up for herself and stuff that very – like, very self-possessed where she appears younger. And, again, I'm not exactly sure what the message is, but <laughs> – but – 
I thought it was an interesting idea. Does that happen in the book? That's not explicitly described in the book. No. Okay. So there's not there's not passages about how there's no she's textual talking, evidence yeah. for okay. it. Okay. I thought that was interesting. I, you noticed that obviously, yeah. right? Yeah. Because there are definitely particular scenes where there's one where she's yelling at. I think she's yelling at Hal about something, and she's all of a sudden almost back to her age she was at the beginning. Like, and when she runs outside into the rain mm-hmm. at that one point. Um, and is standing in the rain, looking out at the lake. She's like slightly young, like she's somewhere in between the old lady mm-hmm. and when she was young. And I was really, I was like really into that. And I was like, okay, this is cool. It's an interesting thing here. I'm not quite figuring it out. It's the same way I feel about everything in Miyazaki movies. It's like I feel like I'm supposed to figure this out, and I can't. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but it's cool, I guess. But it's cool. Uh. Does the movie or does the book? Because we talked about it earlier, but in the in the movie, they one point decide they need to go. Sophie's like, "We gotta help Howl get the get the fire. Let's let's get Calcifer and get out of here. We're gonna go to the hat shop, I think, or something. Because uh-huh. he's going to save the hat shop. Howl's yes. trying to save the hat shop, and so they're gonna go there to help him. But Calcifer's like, "If we leave the castle, it'll collapse. Because I'm not in it anymore." And she goes, "Okay." And he, she goes, "Well, you'll leave with you first, or you'll leave last." And then they leave. And then it collapses, and then they go back in, and then it builds back together again, but then smaller, and then they use the castle to run. Well, they... Okay. I think I can help out here. Can you help out here? What This was the part that skipped, to be fair. It was like exactly this moment that we had to go back and watch again. So I think... And don't come at me, movie fans. I think what happens is they initially move calcifer to separate the castle from the hat shop so that howl doesn't have to keep defending it but then once they do that they're like oh now he doesn't know so we have to go get him so they want to go back in the castle so that they can like get to him that's right. At this point, he had put the cat, the hat shop in the castle. Yes. That's right. Okay, because in my head, because he's not... Okay, okay. Yeah, and the way that, like, the way that the castle works is a little bit confusing anyway, because it's, like, everywhere and also nowhere. Yeah. And also oh. Oh, so he had put it, but then because he was down. Okay, maybe this is making sense because the thing that was confusing me is, or at least this part in particular, because I was very confused by this in the movie, is the he was down like they're watching him down in the city, like he's down fighting over like over the city trying to protect it, and I'm like, okay, so the hat shop's down there, and I thought they were gonna go down there, but then. It was in the thing, but is it in both places because of the magic thing, like the magic door thing? Kind of, yeah. Okay. But then they separate it, but he doesn't know it's separated. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't he still have to... If it's separated, then wouldn't it still be down there? And he would still have to defend it down there if he wanted to defend... I'm not going to... I'm just... Nope, I'm done (laughs) with trying to figure... I don't... I... I think my problem is that I just want to understand things, and mm-hmm. and Miyazaki movies are like, no, stop, <laughs> you big dumb, stop, <laughs> stop, stop trying, trying to figure stop things out, to understand, and I just can't not understand <laughs> things. Like I have to understand what's going on. 
And it's, I think the thing that's wild to me about them is that I'm usually so, I think the thing that is most frustrating to me about this and, and Spirited Away is that I'm usually so, like, I, I watch and judge movies on how they make me feel generally as opposed to, and like technically how well done they are, but like. I'm not, like, into, like, nitpick and plot holes and, like, this and that and, like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Like, that. I used to be more like that, like, years ago. But, like, over the last ten years of my life, that has changed immensely. But then the, uh, but then it still feels like there's some difference here that something about these movies that is doing the same thing to me. This is also not dissimilar from how I felt about uh, uh, the, the, the Wes Anderson um What's the the animal one? Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's a little bit different because that one, the story was like less confusing because there's like less magical mm-hmm. stuff going on. But it's not completely dissimilar from that. The themes are more relevant and are more prominent and obvious in this one than in Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was my big problem with that. But anyways, I, yeah, it, uh, okay. I just got to stop trying to understand them, which I can't do, but yeah, I can't. Well, and I, I think I think part of where you're struggling with this particular one is understanding the rules of the universe, which a I don't little, yeah. I don't know that the movie does like a stellar job of explaining. Yeah. Like the the moving well, that castle, in particular. The moving castle, the door opens up to four different places and the windows look out on different places. But in, and you can also like just go outside of the castle yeah. wherever it happens yeah. to be at that point. But in order to change one of those locations with the doors or the windows, you have to do a spell and like sever that bond and then reform a new bond. See that I guess I didn't. Yeah, that I didn't get. And uh, yeah, I think I just like that because that in particular was something I had issues with. Was the that whole. And maybe that was what kicked off my confusion about the whole third act is that that whole moment where they leave it and then go back in and then it's like a smaller castle now. And I did not get what they were doing and why. And maybe it's because I didn't understand the rules of that whole thing with separating and and, mm-hmm. and, and the hat shop was part of it. And that whole part, I think I was just a little bit lost on me of like what exactly was going on there. I don't know. Um, but that yeah. OK, that makes more sense. Uh, but yeah, I think maybe the rules just didn't quite click yeah. for me. Yeah. Okay, so we find out eventually that Calcifer exists. We find out early on that they Calcifer and Howl are linked, and that if one di- that if one dies, the other dies. Mm-hmm. And eventually, we find out that that is because Calcifer is burning, is subsisting on Howl's heart, kind of like it, that's at the core of Calcifer is like Howl's heart. And eventually. We find out that the Witch of the Waste once Howl's heart, and I think it was supposed to initially be metaphorically like she was in love with him at one point, but then it turns into like she actually physically wants his heart. Mm-hmm. Is any of that from the book, that whole storyline with one heart being in Calcifer and the Witch of the Waste wanting it? Um, this yeah. is kind of another kind of complicated question. Okay. Um, Calcifer does have Howl's heart. That's okay. how Calcifer stays alive. Yeah. There is a character who tries to get part of Howl's body at the end for their own gain, but it's not the Witch of the Waste, and it's not his heart that that character is after. 
Oh. <laughs> okay. It's that wizard booty. <laughs> oh, all right. Interesting. Um, because in the movie, yeah, the Witch of the Waste does take his heart at the end of the movie and destroys the whole castle. Yeah. Even though she's kind of been good again up until this point. And again, this is where things just get confusing to me. She was... She's been senile. She's been senile, but then she sees the heart and then she takes it. And I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get out of that about her character. I don't know. Okay. I'm I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, the wheezy dog. There's a dog in the movies. Very cute dog who looks like an ottoman or something. It kind of reminds me of the dog from Beauty and the Beast. Mm. This movie has a lot of elements that remind me of things from other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of uh, uh, Wizard of Oz, Mm -hmm. a little bit. There's a little bit of Beauty and the Beast, a little bit of Doctor Who, which we'll talk about. And there's this wheezy dog that reminded me of the the Ottoman dog from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, He's cute, though. Is he from the book? There is a dog character. It's not the same dog as it is in the film. Um, In the book, the dog ends up being a person who is enchanted to look like a dog. Okay. So kind of even more similar to the Ottoman dog from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, even more similar. (laughs) And finally, my last question is the moment from the end of the movie where after everything falls apart and she thinks Hal's going to die, I think, and she sees the doorway, though, and she goes through it and it goes back into Hal's past. She eventually realizes. We don't, she doesn't realize it initially. She doesn't know where she's going. She ends up in that little cottage that he's like, this is where I grew up. Um, I think it's what he told her earlier in the movie. Pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ends up there and she sees Hal and there's like all these shooting stars. Very beautiful like shooting star moment and stuff. And then she sees Hal across the way on the edge of a lake. And he picks up the star and he eats it. And then his heart comes out of his chest and then Calcifer is there. And like this is the moment where his heart kind of separated from him. And Calcifer was created. And and Sophie sees this and this sparks in her head. She's like, well, I know how to fix Hal, basically. Again, I don't... He, his brokenness is a little... Broken? Well, <laughs> up in the air in terms of, like, how yeah. broken he is or, like, what his broken features are other than he gets depressed sometimes and, like, angry sometimes. But... I, okay, I'm not. I, I really did like this movie. I don't want this to sound like because I enjoyed it as a thing to watch. Like I like had fun. I liked it. It's just when I started thing like was like when I wanted to understand it, I just had a little bit of trouble trying to understand it. I should just watch it again. This, I, I don't know why I, t- I said the same thing about Spirited Away. I just need to not talk about him until I see him twice because I think it's just like I can't. I don't know. Anyways, and she goes. So then she falls through the ground and goes back to current time. And she's able to find Hal and has him put the heart back. Mm-hmm. And then that saves the day. Is that... So uh, Hal, does, <laughs> Hal does share his heart with Calcifer, um, which we discussed a moment ago. Um, Sophie does not magically pop back into Hal's past and see that happen. Uh, there is a contract between Hal and Calcifer in the book, which is that Calcifer uses Hal's heart to stay alive. And Hal then has Calcifer's magic at his disposal, which amplifies his own wizard powers quite a bit. Oh. And this is also implied to be kind of a common arrangement in this world, where a wizard or a witch will have a fire demon that helps amplify their powers. That makes perfect sense to me. And I would not have been confused about it. 
Like that the idea of like a, the, a witch or wizard being like finding some sort of yeah fire demon and like merging with it to amplify their power seems it's like a totally normal fantasy thing like that. And I thought this worked fine. And I, I just again, never mind. I'm not even. I, <laughs> okay. So kind of from the book, but different yeah, and different. Sophie doesn't have him. Does he reunite? Oh, I guess this is the most important part. Does at the end, does he like merge yes. back together? They're able to separate Calcifer from Hal's heart and give Hal his heart back at the end. Okay. And this makes him whole in the book. What does this do for him? Um, He is able to triumph over the big bad. Okay. At the end of the book, because he gets his heart back. Am I not remembering correctly, or does nothing happen in the movie when this Pretty happens? Much other than happens. other than he can now love Sophie because he has his heart, and then uh, Madame Suleiman is like, I guess the war's over now. Yeah, and then it ends because Hal loves Sophie, and that means the war's over. Because what's the point now? Because he has his heart back. I guess. Somebody, please. Please, I'm not even joking. Explain to me the end of this movie. I guess I could go read something. I'll probably read something yeah. and explain it. But like, I would love somebody who's like obsessed and like, or, or you know, just really likes this movie and has seen it uh, a dozen times or whatever, or even just a few times and like really thinks they get the ending. Please explain to me what, because I mean, I, I heard the lines. I heard what people said and I know like, but yeah. it just felt, I was like, but what? <laughs> Why? Okay. Uh, still loved it. Still very much enjoyed the film. Anyways, that's it. Let's talk about lost. what was lost in adaptation, which was a lot, apparently. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Wow. Was it lost? Yes. Yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. First things first, I'm the realist. Is this a pure fantasy setting? This is one thing in the movie I was a little bit confused about. At first, didn't really care that much. I was just kind of wondering... Um, is that is this because when you get a fantasy setting like this you, you can never be sure if it's like oh, is this a pure fantasy world or is this an alternate timeline earth with like you know flying weird flying robots and ships and wiz- witches and wizards or is this like middle earth is this a completely different you know world first I think that's not an uncommon thing for a Miyazaki film to have kind of a mishmash ish universe yeah um but i am going to talk more about this later but i think this is one of the most intriguing things from the book that the movie completely ignores the book is set mostly in a fantasy land it's called ingery okay but not entirely more on that later the movie does seem to just be a fantasy land though yeah to me because we get names i don't think we ever hear like aware we hear names of like empires and kingdoms that mm-hmm. are fighting and stuff i don't remember what they are but we hear like names of kingdoms and stuff that are fighting and like they don't seem to be to map to anything yeah. you know in the real world but you never know this could have been like this this kind of story could have been this takes place in alternate universe uh england right yeah in 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 in, in the 1500s where some weird technological advance and magic happened in the you know yeah the turn of the millennium or at 1000 or whatever and like so i was it's what not that it really matters again i was just kind of mm-hmm. wondering i was just yeah. like interested to know where 
what the setting was because the movie doesn't really kind of tell you. And again, it's not really that important, but I was just wondering. Why did the Witch of the Wastes curse Sophie? She just rolled because she's tacky. She rolls into that hat shop and it's like, you tacky. You're basic. <laughs> You're tacky and I hate you. <laughs> uh, and then she flies through her and turns her into an old lady. And I wasn't sure um, specifically why. I had some inklings, but I wasn't positive. Well, in the movie, it seems to be because Howell paid attention to Sophie and the Witch of the Waste is jealous. That's That was, that what, was I, what I got. That was what I got from the movie as in well. In the book, it's because Sophie also has powers and doesn't realize it yet. And the Witch of the Waste does not like the competition. Oh, I like that more. Yeah, so do I. Why? Uh, she doesn't have any powers that we notice. She in the doesn't movie. seem to. She's real good at cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> which is, woof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one thing that I will say, and I don't know how much we'll talk about it more, is that I thought this the the movie didn't do a lot for me in terms of like it has some interesting moments, kind of looking at it through feminist lens that. It, Sophie's the main character and she has some really great moments at times, but I didn't feel like the overall it had anything really interesting or empowering to say as a whole. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I again, maybe I just need to watch again and see if it would change for me. But like there were there was I what I like about the female characters in this movie is that they're complex and well written at times and they have they have layers and, and mo they're not, you know, uh, as can often be the case in some stories, they're not like just like, yeah, you know, um, She's one not note, Snow like, White. right? They're not like a one note just thing. They have they have layers. They're they're she she has fire at times. She's uh, she, you know she's she's layered, like I said. But overall, it's like when it gets to the end, I was like, well, I don't feel like I got a lot out of. I'm not sure. I, I just didn't see a lot of like interesting, and maybe that's not the point. And you know, maybe that's not what they were. He was going them that whoever wrote the movie was going for. Uh, well, I know Miyazaki, but whoever else involved. But it just didn't. It didn't strike me as particularly like having a lot of interesting things to say about being a woman in this world. Yeah, yeah. Am I wrong? I mean, no. Yeah, I think there are some interesting moments, but yeah, I don't... Yeah, because we don't really get anything about, like, what is it typically like to be a woman yeah. in this world? Yeah, and she... And does the story or the characters attempt to comment on that or yeah. subvert it in any way? Not really. Not really, and, like, because it's... There's so much... And I think that's... Maybe that's part... I think if I can try to suss down what complicates my enjoyment thematically of this movie and spirited away is that maybe it's just, maybe I'm too stupid. And I mean, I don't mean, I, I, what I mean is that I think, so we start with an interesting idea of this girl who is too mature for her age. And at least I think that's what they're it's kind of going for where she's like, they're like, come out with us or whatever at the beginning. She's like, no, I'm going to stay and make hats all night or whatever. And she's like, oh, I don't mind looking after the shop. And she it's basically she's she doesn't get to to live her her life as a young woman. Um, she's she's kind of already, which is why then she gets turned when she gets turned into an old lady. It sort of reflects her already inner sort of mm -hmm. self kind of type of thing. Um 
And then she goes gets to go on this magical adventure as an old lady, and that's interesting. But then so many other layer, like so many other curveballs get thrown at that initial interesting setup of a story that by the time we get to the end, I'm not sure. I felt like I've lost the thread of the initial message that the movie was trying to get to me because I've had bird monsters and so many million different things. Yeah. That I feel like I I don't know anymore where and and so many wild scenes have happened where interactions don't necessarily match the character motivations from earlier in the movie and what I'm expecting that by the time I get to the end and she saves Hal's heart I'm not sure what her journey was like yeah. what was the journey and what was thematically what was I supposed to get out of her journey. She goes on an adventure as an old lady and has fun and then she falls in love with Howl. But is that different? Like, what was her arc? Are you asking me to suss that out of the movie I, or yeah, the book? Yeah, I'm talking about the movie or in the book. I, I mean, I, if you're going to compare or talk about that later, we can do that. I'm just kind of, I just want to talk about it because I this is the stuff that's interesting to me. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you knew. Because in the movie, I'm not sure what like her arc is or what her... her all right, well, in the book, the, here, this is what I got out of it. Okay. Um, at the beginning, she is very meek. Um, she doesn't really do much of anything. Um, there's this, there's this like, um, idea in, the, in their culture, I guess, that if you're the firstborn, you're, like, doomed to not do anything interesting. Yeah. Um, and she, like, totally buys into that. And she's like, well, I guess I'll just stay here and work in the hat shop because I can't go seek my fortune anyway because I'm the firstborn. Okay. Um, and then she gets this curse put on her um, and she sets out on her journey. And it's kind of about her like learning that she does have value and that she does have something to offer. Um, and ultimately... She is the only one that can separate Calcifer from Hal's heart and, like, set everything right because of that power that she has. But she had to, like, get to that place of realizing okay. that she was capable of that first. Okay. I guess the movie's going for a similar thing. Because as you say that, I'm, like, trying to, like, mold that onto the movie and I can kind of get there. You know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. I can kind of get there. I guess the thing is that when, at the end, I don't see what... It's not her power that... She's not the only one that can... She just realizes to put... Mm -hmm. I guess in the movie, it seems to me like she just realizes that Calcifer and Hal should go to back... To, or should... Or that his heart needs to go back in and they should separate... That Calcifer should separate from the heart and that the heart should go back into Hal or whatever. Yeah. In the movie. And the movie takes away the idea of her having her own power. That's what I mean. Which I don't love. Yeah. Um, and I also felt like kind of pinned it on this idea that her and Howl are like one true loves, which yeah. I don't love. Yeah. And I guess that was the thing is that it just felt like all of her, I guess it, to me, it felt like in the, in the movie, especially in the third act, her actions were no longer being motivated or she was no longer in in sort of control of what was going on. She was just kind of f bouncing around. She wants to help Hall at one point. And that's not true. Ah. 
I nah. Let's let's move on to the next question. I know. I just. <sighs> I know. All right. My last question for Lost in Adaptation is why does and is her name Solomon? I think they say it's Solomon. Solomon. Yeah. Um, why does he decide to just let the war end after Hal finds his true love? Because in the movie, he finds his true love, and there's an insert shot of her being like, he's found his love. <laughs> Foiled again. Foiled again, <laughs> war over. What's the point? Um, I'm like, what? This is not in the book. I honestly, I thought that was a really weak ending. Sorry, movie fans. Um, I cannot help you understand it because I don't understand it. That character isn't even in the book. Okay. She's an amalgamation of at least two book characters. Um, Mrs. Pentstemon. Pentstemon. Pentstemon, um, who is a powerful witch. And a wizard, Suleiman, who is the king's wizard, who's missing for most of the book. They don't know where he is. Interesting. Um, he went to confront the Witch of the Waste and went missing. Yeah. Like you do. Yeah. Um, and then uh, maybe in the movie, she's also a little bit like the king, I guess. I mean, there is a there king, is a king but, but she also is like functionally Seems to be. Yeah, he just like. Yeah, he, he shows sh- up for one scene and, he's, he's, and it's like woohoo, war machine. Yeah, the movie implies that like she's like really yeah. pulling the strings yeah, and she's yeah. just sort of like a figure. Which I just I don't get because like why bother setting up this whole thing where she's like a warmonger puppeteer if that's ultimately not going to go anywhere or mean anything and you're not going to do anything with it? I don't get it. That was what I was confusing to me, and then because she pulls Hal there because Hal, so. Yeah, and it's just I wasn't sure what how finding love now and finding his heart. I guess it's that she knows now he'll never come to her. Like he'll yeah, never maybe. But then what does that have to do with the war? I, I guess is my know. confusion. Like the war still could go on. It's because he's not gonna fight. He's a pacifist. Like he's not gonna fight. He's just gonna go live with her and be happy. So I wasn't maybe like. The implication is that, like, maybe now he's powerful enough to stop it. Well, that's what I thought maybe was the thing. But then we should have seen. Yeah. Should have done that. I, no, feel I agree. Like. Because otherwise. Yeah. I just. I mean, maybe uh, they were just like, we're getting close to that runtime. Maybe. Boys. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Because <laughs> that would have been that would have been another thing. You know, if like if then uh, I, I'm not going to rewrite Miyazaki I just because it feels so presumptuous I just (laughs) uh, anyways all right that was all I had for Lost in Adaptation let's go ahead and talk about what you thought was better in the book you like to read oh yes I love to read what do you like to read everything okay better in the book um we already talked a little bit about this but the reason that the witch curses Sophie is because she's jealous of her magic powers and yeah, not yeah. because Howell had a little bit of a flirtation with her. Um, so Sophie has a, a power where she kind of brings things to life in a way. Interesting. Um, so she talks to hats as she's making them, and then they do incredible things for the people who wear those hats. Um, like crazy, magical things happen to them. Um, she talks life into a walking stick that she has. Um, and also it's implied that she does that for the scarecrow as well. Cause when she initially comes upon him, he seems to be like just a scarecrow. Yeah. Um, 
She also, at a couple points, makes clothes for Howl and unintentionally talks intentions into them that give, like gives him extra powers. Huh. That's interesting. Um, and then, like we said, I don't think movie Sophie is meant to have any kind of powers. No, I don't think so. I did I, not get that from no, the movie. At least not any explicit like magical powers. I... Uh... I, I, and I, I, th- I think I could see the argument. I'm sure somebody would make the argument that her powers are meant to be more traditional, empathetic, uh, traditional, traditionally mm, soft female, skills. soft skills of like empathy and and that yeah. sort of thing. Which I think there's nothing wrong and can be empowering in its own way to tell a story about a heroine or a hero or whoever who uses those sort of skills in a way that saves the day or whatever. Like that's it. It doesn't always need to be like. The sort of coded, not necessarily masculine, but like. But I don't think that the way the book does it is coded masculine either. I don't need. I didn't even mean masculine. I just. Uh, and I guess what you're saying is true that because like th- yeah. that sort of magic it, from the book is more of a a magical manifestation of like traditional traditional feminine, feminine yeah. like kind of but thing. But she actually does get powers. It's yeah. not like, oh, I'm going to be kind. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> kindness is my superpower. Yeah. I think that can be done and I think the movie does it okay maybe maybe I don't know. I it, it is a little that's where it lost me a little in terms of like her journey and like what I was supposed to get out of her journey. Um mm-hmm. I think that would have been the book version to me sounds more interesting Mm -hmm. to me, but I can see an argument. I think, I think you could make an argument for not giving her explicit magical powers. Um, I think you could make that argument whether or not the movie does it the right way or not. I think you could make that argument. Um, So in the book, Sophie basically breaks into the castle. Scarecrow doesn't like go get it for her. Uh, She walks right up to it and bangs on the back door until it opens. And then just makes herself at home. There you go. It's a funny moment in the movie where yeah. she's like, find me an inn or whatever, or somewhere to stay or whatever she says to it. And then it comes back with the castle. Again, yeah. very that's very like dog-like character that it, it the, the scarecrow is in the movie. But uh, The movie also leaves out pretty much everything with Sophie's family. Um, we, we see her, her one sister, Letty, very briefly yeah. at the beginning. And we see her mother very briefly. Um, in the book, she has two sisters, and they have um, an interesting like plot thread where the mom sends them off to different places, and they do a magic spell so they can switch because they would each of them would like rather be doing the other thing. And it's, it's actually Sophie's stepmother in the book, oh. which it's... It's an interesting moment of character growth for Sophie, her relationship with her stepmother, and it's also an interesting uh, flip um, subversion. of subversion. Yes, thank you. It's an interesting subversion of like the wicked stepmother trope. Yeah, um, where Sophie at one point talks to one of her sisters, and her sister's like, "You need to leave the hat shop because she's taking advantage of you. You just work and work and work all the time." And Sophie's like, "Oh, maybe that really is yeah. what's happening. Maybe she's taking advantage of me, and she doesn't actually care about me." And then later on, we meet back with her stepmother again, and it turns out that she's been like worried sick about her the whole time, that happens and in she the movie. feels really bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I. Don't super love the movie's portrayal of Calcifer. 
He's cute. The character design is super cute. Yeah. But the interesting thing about Book Calcifer is that you aren't really sure about him for a lot of the book. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is hmm. he just waiting for his opportunity to do something bad? Yeah. And it adds like an interesting layer to the story. Yeah. Also, as much as I love Billy Crystal, I felt like the voice casting was a little bit silly. It, it's well, when here's the thing with your description of Book Calcifer of not knowing whether he's good or bad or kind of being unsure about Calcifer yeah. in general. That could be another interesting layer. There's already too many layers in this movie. Probably no, I agree. To begin with, so I don't know if we needed that. But you absolutely lose that when you cast Billy Crystal, because yeah. especially because how Billy Crystal plays him, because the movie the movie Calcifer has moments where he like he 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 jokes about like because they talk about how no he won't do what he won't listen to anybody except how and the character has lines in the movie about that probably could read more mysterious Mm -hmm. i feel like if my memory is correct that could read more mysterious and more if ambivalent it if it Billy wasn't Crystal's Billy Crystal doing it. Voice. And it's very clear that it's because Billy Crystal and the way he's doing it, it feels like he's like he's like joking almost. Yeah. Like I feel like in the movie, like the way he delivers the lines, he he's just you can tell like he's he's kind of like a blowhard like type character where he like he'll talk like he's more the way it comes across the movies is talking like he's more powerful than he is, but it's mm-hmm. obvious to us as viewers or not more powerful, but that like, oh, you don't want to cross me. But obviously, like, he doesn't mean it. Yeah. It's kind of how I read the character in he the movie. He talks kind of a big game. Yeah. But he's actually just like fine. He's a cute little Yeah, he's a cute demon. little fire demon. And so like you never have that. So obviously the way they do it in the movie, you could never have that tension. Mm-mm. Um. And again, I don't know if that tension was necessary just because so much other things were going on. That would be a whole nother just, un, you know, a whole nother layer that just doesn't need to be there. But it could be interesting in the book. Let's see what the movie also changes quite a bit about Hal's character. And I, I cautiously liked that they went down a like a more chivalrous road for him and made him more of like an outright hero. But it's also less interesting. Um, Book Howl has a lot of flaws, which means that he gets a lot of character growth that Movie Howl does not. Yeah. Movie Howl has some flaws, and he gets some growth. I can't compare it, obviously. So, um, But it's it's definitely... And it's a problem you always have with a movie to a book. It's like they can only yeah. do a couple scenes of that, like the where he like freaks out about his hair and then falls into a like depressive episode and you know yeah and then kind of gets angry about things and like storms off and you know just leaves and 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 is obstinate and sort of petulant at times um Mm -hmm. because there is definitely at times like a beauty and the beast dynamic yeah that could have been played up maybe a little bit more that would have led it's it's there but uh uh yeah yeah. Again, I can't. I mean, in the, the book, book so. he he like doesn't take anything seriously, um, and he is like he's kind of a womanizer in that way. Like he's always going out and flirting with the girls. He just like doesn't take anything seriously. He's kind of a coward. Like people will ask him like, "Oh, you're a powerful wizard. Can you do this?" And he's like, mm, I, yeah. "I don't really want to." Yeah. So he has to, like, overcome that throughout yeah. the course of the story. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the thing, that's the thing, is that he does stuff throughout the course of the movie. 
like he doesn't seem like a coward. He says he is at times in the movie. There isn't I yeah. mean like that's the thing. He's like I'm a coward, but he doesn't seem like it. Mm-mm. He acts a lot over the course of the movie. Like he goes out as a bird or whatever yeah. and like uh, does stuff and and tries to save cities and stop bombs and all this sort of stuff. Um so it doesn't seem like he's a coward and then at the end he doesn't get any sort of you would think that the moment where his heart comes back or where he's reunited with his heart or whatever, that that would sort of lead to something, but it doesn't in the movie. Yeah. They live is, happily ever after. They just live happily ever after, which is like, well, I, Big need happy to, family. I need that moment to lead to something. But uh, So there's a part in the book, this is kind of a little thing, just like a scene that I enjoyed, where Sophie uses a spell to make one of his um, robes bigger. Um, cause she's, sews him a thing and it's too small and she's like, well, do we have anything that'll make this bigger? So they use like a magic powder on it, but then it just keeps growing and growing and he keeps like wearing it out of stubbornness because she messed it up. And that's like, there's like a scene where he's like in a room and the entire room is just like full of his robes <laughs> and he just like keeps going about his day. <laughs> yeah, that would have been fun. That would have been a fun scene in the movie. Um, also, Howell is from Wales. The fantasy world in this story exists as a parallel universe to our world. He's from here. Interesting. Yeah. So he's like, he went through a like magic, a magic door portal. or something. Yeah. Huh. Uh, one of the most intriguing things about the book, I think, and it's not expanded on a ton. I'm guessing there's probably more about it in the sequels. Yeah. Um, but it is something that the movie just like completely drops. Yeah. Not at all. Um, the space with all the flowers, where they go near the end. Oh, the field. Yeah, the field with, with all the, the flowers. Yeah. Um, that's in the book technically, but it sounds like a lot more fantastical. Hmm. Like in the movie, it pretty much just looked like a field of regular flowers. Yeah. Um, and in the book, they're described as these like like giant fantastical, huh. like crazy flowers. Yeah. Um. All right. So the ending. <laughs> <laughs> The ending of the movie is a little messy. I'm not sure that all of the plot threads tied together quite as nicely as maybe you would want them to. At least me would want them to. Yeah. If nobody else. <laughs> um, and then even even that aside, there is, I think, arguably the bigger issue of the whole war plot thread just being like curses foiled again. Yeah. The war's over now. Yeah. Um, so I think it works a lot better in the book. Okay. Um, and so in the book, the ultimate big bad turns out not to be the Witch of the Waste, but her fire demon, who has been oh. in disguise for most of the story and has kind of like taken over and is now like puppeteering the Witch of the Waste in a way. Hmm. So this fire demon has kidnapped two characters. And they've been missing this whole time. Um in the book, um, which is Prince Justin, who is uh, the prince that we see at the, the end. Scarecrow, I guess, I think, yeah. yeah. And um, Wizard Suleiman. Mm-hmm. Um, and the king has been trying to get Howl to look for these two for like the whole book, and Howl is a coward, so he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to face the Witch of the Waste. Yeah. On and on. So anyway, what this fire demon has done. <laughs> is combined different parts of these two into one body and then mishmatched the other parts and sent them out um, as curses. 
So the scarecrow and the dog oh. are both like mixed up parts of these two characters who are under a curse. And then with the parts that she likes, she's trying to create the perfect human. Okay. And she wants Howl's head to complete her wretched when you, creation. When you say she, you're talking about the, the fire, fire demon. demon. Okay. Yes. Just making sure we're not confusing the witch of the waste. Yes, and, I'm yeah. talking about the fire demon. Yeah. Um, so near the end, she takes hold of Calcifer to try and accomplish this, to try to get Howl. And Sophie has to use her own magic to break that contract between Howl and Calcifer and separate Calcifer from Howl's heart. And then once he has his heart back, Howl is able to defeat that other fire demon and win. Interesting. And everything like is turned back to rights. Gotcha. That feels like it makes more sense. I definitely think I could see your point about trying to feel like when you when you when when you decided that we wanted this pacifist message and and that war is bad and dumb, which no disagreement. <laughs> I'm just like at least in general broad theory, no disagreement that he needed to like figure out a way to shoehorn this story then into having yeah. the war play a more prominent role. Yeah. So it became like like a jigsaw puzzle almost to like Well, and it I think <laughs> there are already brief mentions of war in the book. Yeah. Is the thing that's crazy to me. Like um at a couple points like the king mentions like, "Oh, this other country is probably going to start a war with us." Um, when we need my brother, the prince, back because he's like a brilliant military general yeah. and whatever. And I, I just think like you could have just like beefed that up. Yeah, had some commentary yeah, on it. And made like you could have even like abandoned the whole thing about like the witch of the waste slash her fire demon trying to create like an amalgamation person and just had that character be a warmonger yeah trying to create war between these two countries yeah so she kidnaps these characters and makes it look like the other country did it like you could have done that yeah. and i feel like that would have been a really easy way to work war yeah. into this already existing yeah. story so i'm not really sure about some of the decisions that were made yeah yeah and it just it really feels like especially you could have had found a way to then have Howl getting his heart or whatever that ending that we kind of get in the movie then having some ramifications on that greater story other yeah. than just characters then deciding that that story doesn't matter anymore yeah <laughs> it's like the weird thing like yeah um huh that was interesting yeah I think that yeah I think guys you heard it here first we're rewriting Howl's Moving Castle <laughs> Uh, all right, let's talk about what you liked better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. Um, I'm not sure that the changes to Hal's character like totally play out with his character development, but I did like that at the beginning... It's Howl that stops the soldiers from accosting Sophie. Because in the book, he accosts her himself. Nice. It's not as creepy as it is in the movie. Yeah. Like, in the movie, there's the one soldier's like, well, maybe she's prettier when she's scared. And yeah. I was like, what? Uh, yep. Yeah. 
Um, but it, it is him who like tries to flirt with her in gotcha. the street. Um, so I thought that was a nice change. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that uh, Scarecrow gives Sophie his cane. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cute. That was a cute moment. Um, I like that the movie shows her de-aging and like fading in and out of the curse. And like I feel like the implication is maybe that she almost like is able to break it herself. Yeah. But like can't quite get there. Yeah. Um, it's one of the benefits of a visual medium yeah. is that you're able to do stuff like that without it being much like, more subtle. Yeah, much more subtle without it being because if you did that in the book, it would be totally obvious to the reader. I think what was going on. I think you could do it in a way in the book that felt not. I mean, it would be obvious, but it wouldn't be super like on the nose. You could yeah. write it kind of. You would write it like the scene from like Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship. Fellowship. Yeah, where, with like Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not to that extent, but we're like. You, you well, like very like, yeah. vaguely describe slight changes in her appearance as she's doing an action or saying things that are, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, but I would almost worry that it wouldn't be as effective because I think you'd have to do it less than the movie does because I think yes. it, it would get tedious if you did it every other scene. Yeah, yeah, you're a hundred percent right that you couldn't do it like some scenes you just couldn't appear. Yeah, you know. And again, and I think eventually the reader would be like, "Okay, can we just right just tell the story? Yeah. Come on, man." One hundred percent agree. Yeah, because then the movie can get away with you know so one scene for just a moment. She can, or you know, for the whole scene, she can just be like twenty years younger than she was <clears throat> when she's the old lady. Yeah, and you can just see it. You don't have to. She's standing up a little bit straighter. She doesn't. Yeah. You don't. But you don't have to like. Yeah. If you had to do that every other scene and describe, if you wanted to do it even four or five times over the course of the book, it would get tedious. like oh, okay. Yeah. So that is yeah that is something that the movie can benefits from just being able mm-hmm. to do. Um, I thought showing Howl and Calcifer meeting and like forming that bond was interesting. Yeah. Um. I. We had some other issues with it, but I thought it was an interesting choice yeah. to show that. Um, I liked that Sophie had to give Calcifer part of herself to help him move the house. That yeah, last I thought that time. was cool. It's, she cuts it's, her hair yeah, off. it's very fairy tale. Yeah, it's very witchy. Where you have to like give a part of yourself in order to make that magic work. And it's very, it, it's a very obvious like visual signifier change in her character. Mm-hmm. At that moment where she has decided to help Hal and that she does care for Hal and she wants to go save him by moving the house or whatever. Yeah. It, because then she goes from this, like, braided sort of uh, young girl with the braid to, like, she has, like, a like a sexy... She's got, like, a choppy bob. Choppy bob cut. She looks... <laughs> the whole end of this movie, I was like, if they ever make a live-action version of this, Kiernan Shipka needs to play her. Because <laughs> in the end of this movie, she just looks like Kiernan Shipka to me from uh, Sabrina, basically. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it for Better in the Movie. Let's talk about the few things the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Um, all the boys want Sophie's sister, Letty, in that brief scene where she goes to see her and all the she's working at the bakery and all the, the, the oh, men yeah. in the shop are like shouting her name. Um, <laughs> she looks really interesting. <laughs> distinct. Yeah, very distinct. Um, but that that is from the book. She works in a bakery. All the, all the boys want to uh, make her acquaintance. Very popular. 
Um, how readily Sophie embraces being an old woman who doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, yeah, she's all like, right. all right, I guess this is what we're doing now. Yeah. I th- see that again. That was when the movie was working most for me. Like I said, the yeah. first two acts is when the movie was really working. The second act gets a little meandery at times, but the first two acts I was like on board. And mm-hmm. I just wish, yeah, it could have stuck the landing a little better for me. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of refreshing in the book too, because I think so often when you do like a, a dramatic or like traumatic transformation like that. Yeah, it's gotta it's be a like big it's thing. gotta be like a big thing and the character has to like freak out. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't how the story played it, which I thought yeah. was interesting. I, I, yeah, and it's interesting because I thought I, I enjoyed that about the movie too, that it just gets on with it. Yeah. Like I, I was like, oh gosh, I really hope we don't spend like 10 15 minutes with her like hiding in her room from her mom and then yeah. like going to talk to somebody in the city or in the town about like what do I do and like trying to explain who she is and they're like what you're crazy old lady you know like yeah. expecting all these scenes of like her trying to talk to like her friend and or something and be like no it's me and they're the like movie no even has more of that than the book does like the movie shows her like staying overnight and then like yeah. talking to her mom in the morning and saying she's sick. In the book, she just immediately pieces yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. But I really enjoyed that we didn't get all of that what of what I was expecting with that sort of typical thing when that happens. Yeah, that was nice. Uh, the castle being a mess and also full of spiders. That is straight from the text. So many spiders. So many spiders. Horrifying. <laughs> But Sophie doesn't care. She's a badass old woman. The door that opens up to different places, depending on the color of the knob. We talked about that. Um, Sophie accidentally dying Hal's hair. Um, it looks more orange in the movie. It's like a reddish yeah. pinkish color in the book. Yeah. Um, and then the green ooze. Yeah. Uh, they do the chalk markings um, around oh, yeah, the that castle. Was cool. And then they scoop Calcifer up very carefully so that he can move the house um and then they later on they move the the castle into the old hat shop um and they have the valley with all of the flowers out the other door all things that the movie nailed cool all right we got a few odds and ends and then we'll get to katie's final verdict All of Miyazaki's old women look exactly the same. I'm just yeah. going to say it. They all I mean, look exactly the same. I, I, Miyazaki's young women also look like they, That's they, fair. It, it's a distinct yeah. style. A lot of the characters look very similar <laughs> because it's a minimalistic kind of That's style. That's fair, yeah. Or, or maximalistic at times. But even, like the young girls and stuff, or just young characters in general, are, are like very minimal in terms of like their features and stuff. And then mm-hmm. it goes the extreme opposite for like older characters where they're like 8 million wrinkles and lines and like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sort of this mashing. giant noses. Yeah. Yeah, they're like these sort of caricatures of... Yeah. Well, I guess they're caricatures of young people and caricatures of old people to some extent, which is, you know... Again, it's a very interesting visual style that is fascinating to look at. So I talk, I mentioned it earlier, but like I could not get over in this movie, and I'm sure it's very similar, obviously, from what it sounds like in the book, how much this reminded me of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So much... With you, I mean, with Hal as the doctor, and now this was written by a British lady, right? Yes. <laughs> in the 80s, so doctor yeah. had been around for 20 years at this point, 25 years or whatever. Not saying it's inspired by her, but like, it, it, to me, it felt very similar. You have a flying castle that's like 
seemingly, I'm sure this fan fiction exists. Seemingly bigger on the inside yeah. with this sort of angsty, emotional, brilliant, basically magician who flies this castle around and then meets and has up with, companions. who has companions <laughs> like a young kid who like works with them and then he meets up with this young girl who's suffering from something that he has to that you know I was like this is this is just Doctor Who like this is just an episode of Doctor <laughs> Who and and that was the thing that I think is a little funny is that with Doctor Who episodes a lot of times the the third act of a Doctor Who episode <laughs> Things will just kind of get solved, mm-hmm. but the for me, it like, and not necessarily always in a way that like quote unquote makes sense. But for some reason, like, I at least can understand what <laughs> what happened at the <laughs> end. Whereas this, uh, I don't know, not to go on again, but but it was striking to me how how very similar it felt to uh, to Doctor Who. Also, he regenerates the inside, not regenerates, but he does the makeover on the inside of his castle in the movie, mm-hmm. which the inside of the TARDIS regenerates all the time, like constantly in the in the show. Um, I was like, so many things. It was wild <laughs> to me how how many different uh, elements were very similar to me from Doctor Who. Um, the character of Markle is uh, a lot younger in the movie than he is. In oh, the yeah. book. He's like a young man. His name is also Michael yeah. in the book. I don't have strong feelings about these changes, <laughs> so I have them under my general notes. Yeah. Um, he's also um, in a relationship with one of Sophie, Sophie's sisters. Huh. Um, but since they basically aren't in it, I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all that uh, Markle in the movie is played by Josh Hutcherson. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh. Of a young. Yeah. Young Josh of uh, of lots of things, but probably most notably uh, the Hunger Games yeah. series, which we'll do eventually. Yes, we I've will. read all those. Boy, do I not like that third one. We'll get to that. <laughs> that was one of the most like nosedivey book series I've ever read in my like recent memory. Like I was like first book cool, second book okay, third book oh boy. I've actually never read those, so I guess whenever yeah, we get to, to them, we can it. do them as a switch a yeah. switch series. Yeah. Yeah, that'll have to be a summer series, probably. Oh, maybe. They're but not this year's Not this year's series. summer series. What's up? What? Stay tuned. We already know what it is. It's exciting. I think they could have, the movie could have used more time, and I we kind of talked about this, so we won't go into it a lot, but I think more time in the beginning to sort of set up Sophie's character flaws, and thus mm-hmm. it would give her a stronger arc and more a more concrete arc that I, I at least I found more satisfying when we get to the end. And like uh, yeah. to know what, why, like what her quote unquote flaws are at the beginning, it's like kind of alluded to, like, mm-hmm. but to me they didn't come across as flaws. She's like, oh, I'm just working at this hat um, shop. Yeah, I'm just real quiet and industrious. I'm quiet and I work at this hat shop. And and, and like we get one scene where they're like, come out with us, and she's like, no, I'm gonna work a little bit. And it, but it doesn't play off to me as like. A fl- like a bad thing in that right. moment. Well, I mean, yeah, that by itself isn't a bad thing. I know. Like, it's not a bad thing to be introverted and prefer to stay in. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, yeah, and, and and it didn't seem to be negatively affecting her happiness. Yeah. I guess I guess that's what it was. To me, yeah. it didn't seem like it was negatively affecting her in any way for them to be, like, flaws. Yeah. She didn't seem, like, longing to, you know what I mean? Or, like, right. depressed or miserable or anything. So it was just, like, uh, she just yeah, seemed totally the content. The book did it a little differently was that she's, 
kind of bought into this idea about what her life is going to be or is supposed to be because of the oldest child thing. Yeah. Um, and it's clear that she's not particularly happy, but she's like really resigned to it. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I don't think that comes through. Because she has a line in the movie about, well, I'm the oldest child, so I take care of that stuff. But she doesn't seem upset about it to me. Yeah. Like, she doesn't seem, and it doesn't even seem like resigned. And maybe it's just the anime. Maybe it's like the style or the performances, maybe with the voice, maybe, maybe in the original Japanese, maybe that performance comes across in a way where they feel more resigned and that didn't translate. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I, you know, I have no idea. Um, although if we'd watched the original dub, I wouldn't know because I wouldn't be able to hear that. I don't think. In the, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, so this is the last thing in my notes that I want to talk about. And that is anime man booty. There is some anime. There is booty. Shot. There's booty in this film. Yep. Christian Bale's booty. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, technically. <laughs> that towel comes off and then there's booty. <laughs> yep. Uh, my last note was we mentioned in the prequel that the uh, Batman growl made an appearance. Yeah. Because Christian Bale does the English voice of how... And it, we we there was the Batman growl, and we we saw when it was, and it's when he turns into the giant bird creature. Yeah, he's like full on bird monster. Full bird monster. And she follows him into His, into the West Wing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the very Beauty and the Beast moment. Um, and he, yeah, and he looks at her. He's like, Bro-gadar. yeah. <laughs> no, I was kind of laughing because when when we were doing the research, it was like, oh, supposedly he does the Batman growl, like, and then nope, it was ab- really obvious. Absolutely, he yeah. absolutely does the Batman growl. Yeah, it is a hundred percent what it is. Uh, spot on. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. The final verdict. No. <laughs> Are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. All right, so I kind of think that no matter what I say here, a bunch of people are going to be upset. Yep. So I'm just going to say it. The book is better. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase slightly. The book is really good. The, mo- the movie is also really good. But is the movie a good adaptation? not sure um the big thing that bothers me is that it seems like miyazaki was maybe too focused on working in the anti-war message and i think it may have been to the detriment of the story and that baffles me a little bit because i think that he could have easily either one beefed up the mentions of war that are already in the book and kept the story much closer to the original text like we talked about. Yeah. Or B, just told his own freaking story without making it an adaptation of the existing story, because let's be real, this is a tricked-out Beauty and the Beast retelling, and the movie plays to that element way more than the book does. Yeah. So he could have just told his own story. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what was really going on here. Because in the end, we didn't get either of those things. We got something in the middle that, in my opinion, turned out kind of squishy. And maybe the movie stands on its own just fine. I'll never know that because I read the book first. And as a one-to-one comparison, the book just takes it. It's more complex. It's more layered. Those layers work better together than the layers in the movie do, and it has more complex and layered characters as well. 
And honestly, part of me is kind of upset that this book has already been adapted into a movie that now totally overshadows it. Yeah. Because I would love to see it done differently. Yeah. Like, I would love to see it adapted, like, maybe as a live action TV limited series. I guess I can still hold out hope for that. It's possible, but you're all right in that the movie overshadows it. Like, everybody knows about the movie. It's one thing with, like, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings where the books are, like, these huge beacons of, uh, you know, where they might, they'll probably also get another adaptation later. I don't know if this I don't know if this ever will, but I, I would love to see it adapted by someone who wants all of the plot threads and who allows the weirder, darker elements in the story to just be what they are. But... C'est la vie, I guess. <laughs> All right. And as somebody who hasn't read the book, it mostly works until you get to the third act, is my opinion. And then it just kind of, again, I'll watch it again, but just kind of turns into a bit of a mess in the third act. But that's my take. All right. As always, you can do us a huge favor. Go to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us there for two, five for $15 or however much you want. And get access to bonus episodes of the show, early access uh, for certain levels. Oh, you get your name read on our prequel episodes. You get priority recommendations, all kinds of fun stuff. You can also do us another big favor if you can't support us, which is fine, is go to iTunes or wherever you don't, uh, mainly iTunes. Uh, I think that's the only, because Stitcher's, something's wrong with Stitcher. Don't know how to fix it. Sorry about that. If you listen to us on Stitcher, check out <laughs> iTunes or Spotify or one of the other places that's still updating. I don't know what happened to Stitcher. I tried to fix it. Couldn't fix it. Maybe one day. But go to those places and leave us a review. Uh, That helps out a lot. Uh, You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, uh, all those places. You can just search this film is lit. Find us, follow us, and that way you can be involved in the fan polls and uh, all the posts that Katie does and all that good fun stuff. And a bit of an unfortunate announcement. We're going to have to take two weeks off. (laughs) We're moving again. Um... And we are not going to be able to do uh, an episode for a couple weeks. We have to pack up the whole studio. We have to pack up the entire studio along with the rest of our stuff. Yeah. Um, And it's very short notice. Uh, We're doing this over the next week and a half. Um, And it's going to be hectic and nonsense. And Katie trying to read a book in there in the middle of that. And us trying to record an episode is just probably not feasible. Um, so we're going to remove a slight bit of stress from our lives and not do that, (laughs) but we will come back, uh, in three weeks time with a prequel episode and then a main episode. Uh, and that should be a fun one. Uh, it will most likely be a listener request from one of our hall of fame or Academy award winning patrons. Um, so you can look forward to that. It is, I will say this, uh, it will, it's, it's a movie that came out this year, last year? Last year. The, like the tail end of last year. Yeah. Towards the very end of last year. Uh, don't, it got middling reviews. I wanted to see it, but we never did. Yeah. Well, then, then it got middling reviews and we were and like, And then we eh. definitely didn't see it, but they were like, <laughs> we should do it sometime for the podcast. Yeah. Because it is based on a book. Um, we won't say for sure what it is, just in case we don't, for some reason, aren't able to do it. But that's the plan. Uh, so in a couple weeks' time, you can look forward to that. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, you can check on us on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll still be posting yes. stuff. It just won't be specific, specifically related to an episode. Um, and then we will announce 
what that next one in two weeks time is going to be. Um, and while we're on the topic of social media, I want to give a shout out to Shelby Suderman on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Shelby, big fan of uh, Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. It's a book. Um, they read it every year. Um, and they were, we were talking about it on Twitter um, and they were able to really help me like kind of organize my thoughts on this because I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to talk about this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that's another fun thing that um, if you follow us on social media, you can chit chat with us about there you go. Um, the books and the movies that we do. Yeah. And especially if you're a big fan of something, mm-hmm. we would love to talk to you about Get it. Get your input. It's fantastic. Awesome. So until next time, whenever that may be, probably three weeks, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else... Keep reading books, keep watching movies, and and keep keep being awesome. awesome.